You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 174. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelana Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Oh, the team Ooh. is back together again. Oh, yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been several episodes since it was the three of us. Yeah. Yeah? But we are back. And um, I am really impressed with uh, with the regularity of the release of the episode. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have high hopes for this one as well. Yes. Okay. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pontus, right? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Thursdays at eight o'clock in the morning. That's when the episodes should air. That's what the schedule have had for a couple of weeks now. So, or more than a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks Pretty goody. to the great Pontus Buckman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I cannot tell you how relieved I am that while I'm traveling, I don't have to do that. I don't even know how I managed. No, yeah. it's absolutely crazy. But uh, yeah, I can find my way to crazy land um, occasionally still. And uh, talking about doing crazy things, uh, <laughs> yes, it was just a couple of days ago. The program for Cheek Up Fest 2019 was published, and uh, <laughs> among them, <laughs> and among the speakers of Cheek Up Fest that happens in Padova, Italy, in September, is a guy called Andras Pinter. Oh, we don't know him. Who is he? <laughs> And I understand. Are you going to give that speech in Italian? Yeah. Oh. That's the crazy part. <laughs> that is fantastic. I have given tours in my hometown in Italian. All right. I've been uh, traveling in Italy for 10 years. Oh, it's group. impressive. Mainly communicating in Italian. Well, exclusively in Italian. This is still going to be a little bit of a hard nut to crack. We'll see how it works. Apparently, Massimo, we were chatting with Massimo and uh, he doesn't think that I'm not capable of it. So it's yep. interesting. Obviously, my topic will be what I've been uh, dealing with uh, for a long time now. And uh, that is the gullibility involved with uh, tourism, the tourism industry. And uh, the title of, of my talk is Viaggio nel Turismo Credulone. <laughs> oh, oh, wonderful. Sì. Yeah. A journey to a gullible tourism. Pasta italiano, sì. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if I just uh, give a talk in English with an Italian accent. I, th- I think so, and, and then they'll understand That's you, what right? I would have done, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm trying the real thing. I'm trying the real thing. And I'm so happy that I'm, I'm going to be there. Excellent. I'm uh, just so excited. And, yeah, uh, we're very proud of you. Oh, thank you. Go oh, on, I, I hope it will be the case even after the talk. <laughs> you, have, you will have something I, to be proud of. We shall see. If, if there'll be no booing and throwing of tomatoes and <laughs> eggs, I think you did very, very well. Yeah, we'll check out the reviews. Hmm? In my opinion, uh, people in Italy are very, very appreciative of anyone trying to speak their language. And that is very encouraging in general. It's amazing. If you can say a couple of sentences without making too many mistakes, you are being praised for being such a good speaker. All right. Good luck with that. Well, we'll see. Anyway, yeah, okay. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to happen uh, on uh, the 15th of uh, September. 
and we'll be there at uh, Palazzo Moroni in the Palace of the Morons. I'm sure that translates to. No, I think it's the Palace (laughs) of the Moors. Oh, oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And the Anziani, Sala Anziani, that is that is the the whole of the elderly. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on, what have you been up to, guys? I think it's been a slow week, actually. Slow fake news week? No, mm. no. We will no. come to that in the <laughs> the other segments. But for me personally, it's been a slow week. Yeah. Oh, okay. I suggest we start the actual show. And to do that, I would like to invite Yelena to talk about something that happened this week in Skepticism. I want to talk about someone who was a very big figure in Italian science and skepticism. And she was born on the 12th of June, 1922, and her name was Margherita Hack, an Italian astrophysicist and scientific disseminator. So finally, I'm talking about somebody who is a lady. Yeah, good. She was born to a Protestant father and a Catholic mother, and she enrolled into the University of Florence to uh, read literature, but soon switched to physics. And she um, graduated in 1945, and by the early 1950s was working as an astronomer at Florence's observatory. She is actually known as Lady of the Stars, and she contributed in the field of stellar spectroscopy and radio astronomy. And the asteroid 8558, Huck, is named after her. She's written more than 200 scientific papers, and she became the first woman director of uh, Tristi Observatory to hold such a position in Italy. She was also known for being able to explain complex scientific concepts to lay people like ourselves, mm-hmm. as, in, as in we lay people. Which is a great gift, I think, because so many wonderful scientists um, who hold all the knowledge in the world are unfortunately often unable to pass it on to the general public and get everybody excited. But she was able to do that. Along all these wonderful scientific achievements of her career, she was also an atheist and she was against uh, any religion or uh, the Catholic Church, uh, especially in Italy, a skeptic. She played a big role in uh, CCAP. Oh, she did. She was a scientific guarantor of CCAP since 1989 and um, honorary president of the Union of Rationalist Atheists and Agnostics. Yeah, she was very outspoken about her views and um, she tried to expose uh, fakes wherever she could. There was one instance when um, she caused um, an outrage where she observed that the blood of San Gennaro held in Fiala Naples Cathedral Mm-hmm. where it miraculously liquefies every year in a ceremony watched by thousands thousands of the faithful, was nothing but the hoax. And she she explained to everyone that it was actually nothing but hydrated iron oxide, which has the characteristics of blood, forming a dark brown gel which liquefies when shaken. So Yeah, it's called a, a tixotropic yeah. kind of material. Yeah, yeah. And, she, and she said that there's nothing mythical about it. You can make this so-called blood in your kitchen, and I'm quoting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she was a great uh, science educator. Unfortunately, she passed away. She was 91. And she left a great impression in the world. I, I was going to say Italian uh, scientific community, but I'm sure the world at large as well. Great. Mm. There we go. Really good. 
And I'm pretty sure if she were alive, she would be among the speakers of uh, Cheek Up Fest. Absolutely, no doubt Guys, about the, that. The more I think about it, the more weird I feel about me being included. Because, oh, guys, <laughs> it, you just check out... <laughs> Check out the list uh, of speakers. It's unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Su- such a great lineup. And wow. It's a yeah. great honor. Hey. Yeah. Um, you, you'll just have yeah. to live up to that, Anders, now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. She was amazing. And th- there are so many amazing Italian skeptics. Oh, my God. They're doing Indeed. doing a brilliant job, they and really uh, are. this very thing that the blood of San Gennaro has mm. been discussed by by many others, like including mm. Luigi Galaschelli, whom we interviewed on the show. Yes, I was thinking about like w- whether there yeah. were other people, and uh, you've done some sort of topics on 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 those fakes before. And I couldn't remember if you did one about yeah, this, yeah, yeah, this yeah, particular. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah. There you go. Very good. All right. Thank you very much, Yelena. Pleasure. <laughs> okay. It's not only Italian skeptics who do an amazing job in disseminating science and the idea of critical thinking, but what's happening in Germany is also mind-blowing. And um, to give a little bit of an outlook on this, our special correspondent, Annika Merkelbach, recorded a couple of interviews at SkepCon, which is the German skeptical organization GWP's uh, annual meeting, annual conference with lots of German skeptics around, and uh, Austrian. And uh, we've got a couple of interviews recorded, so uh, we will release another two of them uh, on this show. Yeah, and one of them will be with uh, somebody who's been on the show before, Holm Hümler, and he Mm -hmm. apparently has a new book out about conspiracy theories. So that's interesting. Nice. Okay, let's listen to them. Yeah, let's do this. I'm here on the second day of SkepCon, and with me is Anna Beniermann. Can you introduce yourself quickly? Yes, hello everyone. Um, I'm Anna, and I'm 32 years old. I'm a biologist. I work in biology education, so I'm a trainer of future teachers in biology, and I do research um, mostly about evolution and acceptance of evolution, also about knowledge of evolution and how to teach evolution to primary school kids, but also to older pupils. Okay, and you just told me that there's actually a project or like, um, yeah, like research going on right now. Can you tell me more about that? Oh, yes. So I did my PhD about uh, a study on acceptance of evolution and how it interacts with knowledge about evolution. And actually, my questionnaire, which I designed, is now used all over Europe. There's a project called EuroCitizen. Uh, it's about uh, literacy in evolution across Europe. And we are doing a huge survey in different European countries. And we aim to get all European countries, but we are missing some of them now. Uh, so we are collecting data until the end of the year. And uh, perhaps there are some listeners who are working at university with university freshman students. It does not matter which subject you are teaching. If you are interested in participating, just contact me. Perhaps you can get involved in a very huge science communication, science literacy study on evolution across Europe. Yeah, and I think that would be very cool for everybody who wants to do like literal science and who wants to participate in in research. And I think that's very cool. And speaking about coolness, um, (laughs) um, how did you like uh, SkepCon so far? 
Oh, very good. So I, I'm at the SkepCon since five years, I guess. And I think this year the um, presentations are very high quality. So it, I liked it a lot, especially the psychologist who uh, yeah, gave his talk in the morning, um, who talked about uh, paranormal beliefs and with which factors they interact. Yes, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the SkepCon program. Yeah, so I think it's very exciting what you do. And I thank you for the interview. And I wish you a lot of fun with the remaining time at SkepCon. Thank you very much. I wish you the same for the SkepCon. <laughs> thank you. Okay, so I'm here at the end of the second day of SkepCon with Dr. Holm Hümmler. And can you maybe introduce yourself shortly? So who, who are you? My name is uh, Holm Himmler. I'm uh, originally a physicist and now have been working as a management consultant for 16, 17 years. And uh, I've just finished my second book. First one was on relative quantum nonsense and the second one is on conspiracy myths and uh, technical aspects and uh, debunking conspiracies. Okay, thank you. And we are at SkepCon right now. So how did you like the conference so far? It's really exciting. I mean, for me, it's always exciting to just just for networking and meeting all those people again. But uh, I, I mean, this year the, the skeptical was a great thing again. Uh, very entertaining, and and uh, we've had uh, talks on psychological aspects on skepticism, which is always a highlight to me because that's something that I know next to nothing about, and uh, a lot on on vaccinations and the problems arising in that context. Uh, it's really exciting and great to be here. And you're also active with the uh, skeptics in the pub, is that right? Or did I get that wrong? Well, we, uh, we occasionally do talks in Frankfurt and we've actually done one under the label skeptics in the pub so far and we'll, we'll do some more so, uh, in, in that direction too. It, it always depends on the location that we're, we're getting. Uh, so it's, there's not that much of a skeptics in the pub tradition in Germany in general and it's kind of hard to communicate that to pub owners what we want to do there. But uh, where we have one one pub that we've we've been working with before and uh, where we have our regular meetings and where we have a small back room to make smaller talks and for bigger talks we have to go someplace else. Okay, and um, for tomorrow, are you looking forward to more networking or is there also something in the program that you're looking forward to? Uh, oh, t tomorrow Tomorrow we'll, uh, is mostly going to be work for me. I'm starting tomorrow with an interview, then I'll give my own talk in the morning and in the afternoon. We'll have the, the membership meeting uh, with the official, all the official stuff where I, I have a function to, to, to moderate the whole thing too. So I'll, I'll be really busy tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Nevertheless, I wish you a lot of fun and I thank you for the interview. Thank you. Thanks, Annika. So after listening to those wonderful interviews, I think it's about time for Pontus Buckman to poke the Pope. I really need to start a separate podcast to cover this topic. <laughs> it's just we, too you, much. You, you, you keep saying that and we keep waiting. Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Now you've uh, got the time as well. So just do it, man. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But for now, I will just mention the main news items this week because I have to skip some. There are too many of them. First, a report about Cardinal George Pell. Heard of him? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, just Come a bit. Come home, Cardinal Pell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Formerly, he was known as the third most powerful guy in the Vatican, after Francis himself and Secretary of State Pietro Parolin. 
Cardinal Pell was, as our listeners should be aware, sentenced to six years in jail in February, convicted of several cases of sexual assault. I was actually pessimistic at the time, and I thought the church and his lawyers would find a way to keep him out of jail. But he's actually been in prison since February. But of course, he has appealed, and that appeal has now gone on for a couple, well, several weeks. And there was an appeal hearing June 6th with the prosecution. And I'm afraid it didn't go very well. Apparently, the prosecutor, Christopher Boyce, is reported to have not done a very good job in answering questions from the appeal court. He had difficulties answering the inquiries about the victim's evidence and the case, and he was stammering and stuttering when he was being questioned. Not not very good at all. I hope they don't let Pell go now because the prosecution is doing a bad job. We'll see. Mm, We'll come back to that. Mm. How about Francis himself then? Well, he seems to have created a legal problem of his own, this time regarding the new rules that we talked about, that you now have to report sexual abuse to your superior within the church. He published a letter indicating that all abuse now must be reported. However, there is a new abuse case in Texas that has led to confusion of how to do this in practice, because this case is disturbing. It's about a priest who allegedly coerced a married woman to have sex with him repeatedly and then took her confessions himself in order to absolve her of the sin that he himself had created. Uh, that, that, that's just messed up. Uh, it's, so it's horrible enough like it is. But it also highlighted a technical problem uh, with France's new rule because there is an older rule that the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, formerly known as the Inquisition, are following... And that's still in effect. And they are the, the, the CDF, if we call it that. They are the ones who are supposed to investigate these things. They use a definition of vulnerable adults that essentially means somebody with developmental problems. But in handling this new case, the Texas clergy has pointed out that this case has nothing to do with developmental disabilities. Now, the CDF is already struggling to keep up with cases concerning the old definition and now says that if you report also this kind of of cases, there's no chance in hell, uh, uh, that's my words, not theirs, that they can handle it all. So it seems that in practice the new rules can't be followed because the CDF would collapse. They can't handle it. No, it's, it's, uh, it, it cannot uh, be the, the reason. Yeah. Uh, ah. uh, it, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, sorry, this is a European podcast, but I, I still have to mention one more American news item regarding the Catholic Church. So this is a lot today, but this is a big one. Over the last eight years, the Catholic Church has spent $10.6 million only in the northeastern US to fight legislation that would help victims of sexual abuse. The money has mostly gone, this is lobbying money, that has gone into fighting, prolonging the statute of limitations in several states. And this, of course, would make it easier for victims to file charges if if you give them more time to report them. 10.6 bloody million dollars. Just think what that money could have done to help victims instead of trying to make sure such crimes uh, get too old to be prosecuted. 
and lastly, one more thing, <laughs> very shortly. Always focusing on the important stuff, Francis himself has rewritten the words of the Lord's Prayer. But since I've talked so much about uh, everything else, and who really cares what version of Expecto Patronum he prefers, I will include the link in the show notes so you can look it up yourself. That's what's happened in the Catholic Church and with Francis this week. Well, another well-deserved poking from Pontus <laughs> in the general direction of the Pope. <laughs> yeah, I poke in your general direction. Yeah, I get the reference. <laughs> I poke in your general. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Pontus. And um, let's um, move on and talk about a couple of other things happening across Europe. So I will start with uh, someone who is actually from the US, but she lives in the, in uh, Germany. She's been there for a couple of years, and uh, we have interviewed her, Brit Mary Hermes, who's an ex naturopath since uh, leaving that field and um, going against the dubious practices of a naturopath. She's been criticized by many. This time it was uh, Dr. Colin Huber. DCH, as referred to by uh, Edza Dernst. So she's a naturopath in the US and um, is uh, currently suing Brit Hermes, or was. A, a very long, a lengthy lawsuit has been going on since September 2017 when uh, Huber filed uh, that uh, uh, lawsuit in Germany, actually, which is a little bit weird. She uh, tried to sue Brit to try and silence her. She wanted um, the, the court to actually rule against um, Brit and uh, ban her from uh, saying a couple of things that are actually based on scientific facts that, uh, for example, whatever DCH is promoting is just bogus and it lacks any kind of evidence to back it up. And, of course, the fact that um, there have been a couple of uh, domain names registered using uh, Brit Hermes's name and putting actual pseudoscientific content on those websites, which is just a terrible thing to do, to steal someone's name and try to put it up as still practicing naturopath, where obviously she has left the field furious and absolutely disappointed with, with whatever there was. And... Uh, finding out that it's all nonsense. So without going into too much uh, detail, recently there was court ruling and um, the district court of Kiel in Germany ruled on May the 24th against that naturopathic cancer quack, Colin Huber. Very good. So Very good. the defamation lawsuit is not necessarily at its end yet because there is still the option of appealing but the first stage appears to be that uh, Brit won that case. Yeah. So yeah. congratulations. We are very happy and we're very, very happy for you, Brit. And uh, we hope that uh, she will come to her senses, I mean, Colin Huber, and not go on with the appeal. Mm. We'll hope see. So. Hope so. <laughs> All right, let's go to Sweden. We have regular listeners probably remember that I have been rather critical, to say the least, regarding the so-called religious free schools in Sweden. There have yeah. been uh, several scandals over the last year or so, and I've been reporting on them. And now it seems that the politicians have noticed too. Maybe they listen to the show, who knows? Anyway, the Social Democrats in Sweden, who are leading the current minority government, have said they want to forbid religious free schools 
However, since they are still a minority, they are now floating a proposed new law that at least would stop the formation of new religious free schools. But the suggested law would still permit the existing free schools to establish new branches, so it's far from perfect, but still it's a step in the right direction. Nonetheless, the law is getting critique from both sides. The Christian Democrats, of course, uh, are against it, and they are currently getting higher in the numbers, higher than ever, actually, in the polls, so, so that, that's that. There's also a strange problem, then, that I wasn't aware of. Depending on how you see it, it may actually violate the European Convention on Human Rights, because there it says in Protocol 1, Article 2, that, and I quote, the state shall respect the right of parents to ensure such education and teaching in conformity with their own religious and philosophical convictions. End quote. That's a new angle that I wasn't aware of. That's really interesting. Maybe it's not even possible to ban religious schools in a country in EU. I mm. never actually imagined that I would disagree with any document on human rights, but to me, that's just plainly wrong because it's protects the wrong party here. What about the rights of the children not to be indoctrinated? Isn't that the more important party to protect in the laws? Anyway, uh, things are happening here in Sweden on this subject and it's sparked quite a debate and I will link to quite a few articles if people want to look into that. But I think it's a good thing that it's being discussed. Agreed. Uh, discussing stuff should be part of um, the school curricula as well, especially when it comes to media consumption, I think. This is uh, what uh, two organizations, two Hungarian organizations, try to tackle now, this lack of uh, those discussions. One of them is Televela Society for Media Education, and the other one is urbanlegends.hu, which is a well-known website debunking pseudoscientific claims and uh, a lot of idiotic ideas. So they teamed up and uh, they started to develop an educational program for teachers. It's um, on, on a voluntary basis that um, they, they can register for the program. And um, the program will provide a two-day educational program for these teachers plus a little bit of an incentive um, in the form of a grant, tiny grant as well. So what's important about this is that they don't try to provide the actual lectures and uh, school activities themselves, but they want to try to educate teachers who will do that. So this is a, a very good way of disseminating scientific thinking and critical thinking and integrate it into the school curriculum. Because obviously it's diff it's always difficult to get to classrooms and do this directly. So the, the easiest way is to help teachers become ready to do that themselves. And uh, it will aim at uh, the, the program will aim at um, the education of 13 to 14 year old uh, students. And uh, they will focus on a consciousness in media consumption and how they can um, approach media and media um, items, news items and that kind of stuff critically. But the, the topics will range from whether you can win an iPhone when you click on this or that website or can we help with donations towards um, an issue if we share a Facebook post a million times 
and that kind of stuff. And obviously, other things that are, well, scientific or pseudoscientific claims, uh, how you spot them, how you find out that it's it's not actually true. So they will provide educational material, written material, and uh, it will be free, absolutely free of charge. I think this is something to, to follow in the future. And uh, it, it goes very well with uh, whatever is, has been discussed uh, lately about the Finnish uh, system, Finland's educational system that uh, that seems to have this kind of attitude and educational programs included in the national curriculum, especially in the college curriculum. Very yeah, good. Yeah. So we go to Netherlands. We are used to untrue stories going viral on social media, of course, that's nothing new. But occasionally it gets even into traditional media. The Daily Beast, The Independent and Euronews, among others, all reported last week that a named 17-year-old girl who suffered from depression as a result from getting raped was legally euthanized under the end-of-life laws in the Netherlands. Apparently doctors, ethicists and psychologists all signed off all the necessary papers for her to die at home since her depression which was caused by multiple sexual assaults when she was 11 to 14 years old, had made living unbearable for her. But the problem is that that's not true at all. Mm. There was a girl by the name that's mentioned, and she suffered from anorexia and other conditions. And yes, at one point she did actually seek permission for euthanasia, but it was denied. And in the end, she just refused all fluids and food and eventually died in the hospital. So the news agencies in the Netherlands did not report this wrongly. It was, for some reason, just picked up from fake social media posts by the media in the UK. And that's really unfortunate because assisted euthanasia is a complicated and very important ethical subject. And we don't need stupid papers spreading misinformation like this. How many bloody times do we have to say that you shouldn't get news from social media, especially, especially if you're a real or want to be a real journalist? Wasn't true. Hmm. I mean, she, di- <laughs> she died, though. She that did. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also very disrespectful. I mean, to, to the family and everybody who's grieving now to hear all of these stupid things on even in the papers. All right. See how. I have good news, though. Good. Oh, good. Finally. (laughs) For a change, right? Guardian recently published an article on 5th of June uh, about fighting the fakes. And uh, by that, they meant fighting fake medicine. And the article was about how to beat a $200 billion medicine counterfeits industry around the world. Wow. They talked about a boy in Africa who's been taking fake malaria medicine and he presented himself in the hospital when it was too late and subsequently died. I wasn't really aware of that myself. I don't know about you, Anderson Pontus, whether you have ever heard of it, uh, but there is a website called fightthefakes.org. They started in 2010, who are campaigning all around the world to fight the, the fake medicine. So this is not like homeopathy. It's the medicine you buy over the counter or online that you think it has got active ingredients, but in fact consists of something totally different and often um, dangerous substances or the substances that in uh, those kind of dosages might potentially kill you. 
Quite often, this affects countries where there is a, a substandard healthcare is provided to the population. And um, as I mentioned, it's quite often affects the malaria medications because they are easy to fake, basically. Mm-hmm. An estimated 50% of drugs offered illegally online are counterfeits. Being part of EU is great because EU takes these things very seriously. Another reason why we shouldn't Brexit, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and they have created uh, and put in place measures uh, to help people identify the fake medicine. And um, we will link to the website where they talk about the unique identifier that we should all be looking out for on the packaging the uh, when you buy medication. But also if you buy medication online, uh, they have a stamp that says that this particular website uh, is uh, a legit provider for medications. However, of course, if you don't leave in EU, those things become harder to navigate. So this Fight the Fake Campaign uh, website is, I think, is a great resource for people to sort of look at the um, at their activities, what they do, their partners, how they're trying to mobilize different organizations across the world, or indeed contribute stories of those. You, you know, they, they talk about very obvious things like you should only purchase prescriptions from the trusted sources. In the low and middle income countries, it may be difficult to differentiate between the trustworthy pharmacies and ones that sell fake medicine. And in this case, patients need to use testing and tracking methods available. And there are a couple of things that they can do now in, in these instances. Again, but there's still risk attached to it. Another website that was sort of um, linked to the same fight is the, it's called PharmaTrust and it's a UK based, based data company. And they offer a way to trace the data about medicine uh, moving through the supply chain on blockchain. I don't really know much about blockchain other than it is used to trade the online currency Bitcoin. But um, apparently it can also be very useful in instances like this. So the, the CEO of the Pharma Trust explains in the article, and I'll quote, the issue with fake medicine is that they usually enter the middle of the supply chain, not at the top of the, uh, at the point of manufacturing. And the useful thing about blockchain is that it creates an incorruptible record. And once you've made a record, you can't make it again or alter it. And so by using the blockchain, you're able to trace where the medicine kind of entered the, um, the supply chain. And if it is indeed in the middle, then you, you probably shouldn't be buying it. So I guess it's good news in one way because we can see how technology can help us uh, fight the fake medicine. But on the other hand, what? (laughs) (laughs) We could have all been taking fake medicine at some point in our lives. It never really crossed my mind, to be honest with you. And uh, I mean, luckily, I do take medications occasionally, but luckily I never had any terrible sort of side effects from it. But I can see how that could potentially be a problem in some other countries. So... Yeah, just bringing this awareness, basically mentioning the two websites that we'll link to, and um, good luck to the um, uh, to the campaign, basically. Yeah, very good. I, I think it is a problem that we don't talk enough about. I, I believe it is. I mean, as you say, it's a very, very big industry selling fake. Uh, yeah, drugs. because I'm assuming I'm assuming it's it's cheap to produce. They don't have to. Yeah, yeah. You just basically just like anything else that's fake, you know. You sell just, whatever, yeah. Yeah, grind some stone into a powder and here you go, you know. Yeah. So it's good news that uh, it's being fought. I have also good news from Denmark this time. The general elections in Denmark was held on 5th of June. And I'm very happy to report that a skeptic 
one of the founders of Skeptics in the Pub in Copenhagen, and also former leader of the Danish atheists, got a seat in the Danish parliament. Nice. Folketinget, as they say it there. That's the name of the parliament. Wow, that's amazing news. Yeah. His name is Stinus Lindgren, and he was elected as representative of a liberal democratic party called Radicale Venstre, which very confusingly translates to the radical left. But that's due to the bizarre Danish political terminology. The term left in Danish politics means liberal and doesn't mean socialist at all. So very strange. So it's a radi- radical liberal. Yeah, in a way, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 don't ask. <laughs> don't ask. <laughs> anyway, right. it seems to be a very sound party with, with good values. And, and so uh, anyway, Stinus Lindgren has a PhD in bioinformatics which I don't really know exactly what it is, but it's something about using uh, technology to do uh, biological investigations, I think. He campaigned with the slogan, A Scientist in Parliament. And he seems to be a really nice guy. I met, actually met him briefly last year during Copenhagen March for Science. And uh, that's what we want to see, folks. More rational thinkers in the parliament. And I'm sure he will do a great job there. The, but I love the slogan, sci- Scientists for Parliament, that's definitely... With that very good news, I think we conclude uh, our news segment. But we have other things to talk about, especially Pontus does. There must be someone who's been really wrong lately. Yes, there has been. So, the Polish Minister of Agriculture wants to eat beaver and not in the fun way. The, the fan fan away. Oh. Not in the f- you, exactly. You, do, do you know fa- what beaver? Do you know what beaver means? That's what I'm saying. It's not the fanny way. Yeah, exactly. You, you get the joke, but if not everybody gets the joke, maybe I should explain it. A, a beaver is not just an animal, but it could also be slang for a woman's private parts. That's why it's funny <laughs> that he wants to eat beaver. Uh, <laughs> actually, that is, I've heard many suggested explanations for why that is, but my favorite one, and I have no idea if it's true, is that because both of them eat wood. Oh, funny. I think, that, I think that's really funny. And I especially think jokes <laughs> that you need to explain are the best jokes. So let's maybe we should move on with the actually <laughs> item. <laughs> uh, there is a real story behind this. We are all aware that the Polish government are not very concerned with being scientific, being run by the party called Law and Justice. For instance, last year we reported that they broke EU law by logging one of Europe's oldest woodlands. Mm. Recently, the Minister of Agriculture, Jan Krzysztof Ardanowski, confused the hell out of everybody when he suggested that the endangered bison and beaver in Poland should be put on the list of animals that can be hunted and eaten. Since both species have been protected under Polish law, their numbers have increased. According to the most recent estimates, there were uh, 1,873 bison and just over 55,000 beavers in Poland. And Ardanowski is concerned that they become a problem for farmers. He is, after all, the Minister of Agriculture. But there are so many problems with this. First of all, the bison has been extinct in Poland and has had to be reintroduced from bisons kept in zoos. So I would, of course, be an outrage to now start to hunt them again. 
Second of all, there is no such thing as a list over animals that can be hunted and eaten. He just made that up. There is no such list in Poland. He's starting. The, he's starting to put it together. That's... <laughs> yeah, there's. Oh, if there is, there's only two animals on it. He is making a list now. <laughs> <laughs> Thirdly, if there was such a list, it wouldn't fall under his jurisdiction. It would fall under the Ministry of Environment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Still, he said, quote, I will decide to recognize beaver and bison as edible animals, end quote. Nope, not his department. I mean, and, and the other thing is that, that you don't need to recognize them as edible. They are both edible. It's just, <laughs> yeah. you should need <laughs> yeah, them. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> the fourth point is there are already protective hunting of beaver in some cases allowed in Poland, but hunters are not very interested in this. This is why Ardanovsky went even further. He tried to imply that beaver tail is an aphrodisiac. So, so maybe he has heard about the other meaning of the word beaver. I, I'm not sure. But he's just trying to start a rumor now to make it more attractive. And then the fifth reason that this is wrong is that if the environment minister, which is not him, decides to remove the legal protection of beavers, that would be against EU law because European beaver is protected under the EU's habitat directive. So neither of them have any power to do this. Mm. Yeah, so he's just plain wrong. Plain, plain wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it appears so. It really appears so. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm currently in Canada and here beaver tail is a thing. I mean, it's not a delicacy, but it's uh, it's fried dough with some kind of topping. It could be like um, cheese and um, and garlic, or it could be something sweet. But it's yeah. um, it's but very no, popular. Nothing yeah. that's been close to an actual beaver, though. An actual beaver, no. However, both the beaver and the bison are uh, very important animals in this country as well. And they had to bring bison back from extinction or or close to extinction as well at the beginning of the the 20th century. And uh, beavers were basically the basis of the development of Canada because the first settlers were uh, fur traders. And uh, the fur that they were after was beaver fur. Right. So, So to wrap this up... As an example of how stupid it gets when politicians don't know shit about science, the Polish Minister of Agriculture, Jan Krzysztof Ardanowski, gets today's prize for being really wrong. Yeah, and we're back to square one with uh, the need for skeptically and scientifically minded and educated people in Parliament. So, yeah, yeah. One Steen person in Denmark is fine, but that's not <laughs> enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right but he can he cannot do okay. the job of all the politicians across europe no by himself so we need more scientifically educated people good 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 thank you very much pontus thank you okay and that uh basically concludes our show but before we go i think we need a quote yalana have you got one mm, i do i have one from francis bacon who invented bacon? No, he didn't. Uh, he was an <laughs> English philosopher, statesman, scientist, jurist, a writer, essayist, and author. Uh, he said, The general root of superstition, namely that men observe when things hit and not when they miss, and commit to memory the one and forget and pass over the other. The end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah. This is the end. 
Yeah. Yeah. Counting the hits, forgetting the misses. Yeah. The misses. Misses. <laughs> no, no, don't forget the misses. She's very important. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. All right. Uh, but that really concludes our show. So I'd like to thank both of you, Yelena and Pontus, for joining me today. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Also, great thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Paka paka. Bye bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Under the end of law... <laughs> End of law. End of life laws in the Netherlands. Stellar spectroscopy. Spectroscopy? Yes. Spectroscopy, yeah. Stellar spectroscopy. <laughs> Maybe one more time. All right. I have good news. No, I don't have good news. Sorry, oh. I was on the wrong item. Okay. I was looking at your item thinking I will have good news later on, but not now. How are you gonna spin <clears throat> that into a good news? Yeah, no. <laughs>